are listening to Free Beers and a Movie. Nice. Hello and welcome to episode 115 of Three Bears and a Movie. I am Richard Laird and I'm with... Stuart McFall. And Stuart, you are here today because when this goes out I will be somewhere in Germany probably getting booed by the locals for mentioning the war all the time, asking, <laughs> asking very inappropriate questions to Germans. Um, and as a tradition, when we're together we'll do a director profile. But before we go any further, are you drinking anything tonight for said broadcast? Uh, I'm not, it's a Monday, I haven't quite hit that level of functioning alcoholic, so I'm yeah, afraid not. I'm, I'm with yourself, drinking on a Monday does seem a, 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 an error and mistake, so yeah, I'm, I'm also not it drinking. Does. Yeah, it seems, it seems it's a steady slope downhill if you start drinking on a Monday. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it's like, it's like where do you go from there really if you start, start early? Um, but it's an interesting one what we're going to do today because this, this, most filmmakers I think you can probably you would probably agree that we essentially agree on for the most part. Sometimes we like some maybe a little bit more. Sometimes we can disagree on the work that some of them have done. Like we can some one of us will maybe like the work more than the other, or we'll, we'll favoritism favorite favorite or prioritize sorry one film over another. But generally our tastes go quite hand in hand for the most part. They do. Um, one of the big divisions is a gentleman coming up, which is um, Wes Anderson. You are a massive fan of Wes Anderson. I'm a very big Wes Anderson fan. You are less so. I'm cold. I'm colder on Wes Anderson. Yes. Um, I'm trying to think. Of, I would try to think of one that went the other way. You know, one that you that I'm big on that you're cold on, and I couldn't really think of one. I'm struggling to think there, man. You know, I'm thinking think of our favorite directors. You know, Tarantino, pretty much the same page. Spielberg, Coen Brothers. I was thinking maybe um, Smith, like Kevin Smith. I'm Smith. I, I'm a lot Smith. warmer on his later output. Yeah, I, I I'm not really. Yeah. I'm, Post Red State, I'm not really interested. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah but so apart from that, I, I think it's apart not from anything radical, I wouldn't have thought. No, we normally we normally align, don't we? Yeah, we normally do. I was generally wrapping my brain thinking, like, what, who's the filmmaker that I adhere, to, like, I love yeah. more that, that you really just dislike in every way? Like, I know you're not quite a big a horror guy. Like, I like Romero. I don't think you're against Romero. No, no. Uh, I've seen the, the the big ones. Yeah, you know what I mean. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have a deep dive. Yeah. Carpenter probably. Because I, I just haven't seen enough of yeah. Carpenter. Again, I've only seen the... The hits. The, the big hitters. Yeah. But again, that's, that's not you disliking Carpenter. That's just you've no, not seen that, enough. No, 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 yeah. no, it isn't. It's just I just haven't been drawn to, to delve deeper for yeah. no particular reason. Um, no, I can't really think, actually. Yeah. When we come away, we can maybe think of one. We probably, we probably won't find it. Yeah, too. so it does make it even more odder that, that I... My, 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 Distaste for Wes Anderson. You think of it like that. Um, so Wes Anderson. Do you know his middle name? Uh, I did. No, it's a country, but I can't remember. Yeah, it's Wesley Wales Anderson. Wales. Yes. Yes. Wales. Um, uh, it's a country. It is, yeah, it's a well done. I mean, it does sound a very comic booky name, Wesley Wales Anderson. It does sound like something. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we'll, we'll start with his start with his uh, filmography. Um, so his first movie was in nineteen ninety six, um, and that film was Bottle Rocket. Um, which he co-wrote with his best friend um, at the time, Owen Wilson, um, and it was based on his um, short film that he wrote. Uh, done a couple of years earlier, and he used that as a way to get funding um, for for this one, which very much is dis- not dissimilar to guys like Sam Raimi, who done you know similar with, with Evil Dead. Um, yep. He made sort of like low budget things of the same idea to try and get. It. I'm sure the guy done District Nine recently done similar things as well. He sort of made a short version, and even the guy done Deadpool recently as well. He made a sort of a one clip moment like action scene for Deadpool and from that okay. finance rolled in. Um so in the film you got look 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 and Owen Wilson, James Can and it's will you explain what's it about generally? Uh, it's basically 
Do you know what? This is, uh, it's been a, the one Wes Anson film that I've only seen once. Okay. It wasn't that enamored with it. Um, but I remember it being a kind of heist yes. caper. Yes. Um, it's an idiot heist. I would say it's an idiot heist caper. They don't really know what heist. they're doing. Yeah. And it's funny. Um, and it's ramshackle and uh, they're buffoons, really. And it's completely out of their depth. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's, it doesn't really have... And, it's quite interesting. Our, our opinions on this film kind of suggest the overall feeling we both have towards Wes Anderson because it's my least favorite Wes Anderson film because it's the least Wes Anderson-y film. Yeah, and yet you like you were a bit more enamoured with it. Yeah, I was enamoured because I think it to me it feels like it's 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 just a typical indie movie. It's not really yeah. Wes Anderson-y. It almost feels like about part almost Kevin Smith, part John Hughesy. You know, it's sort of sitting in the yeah. kind of middle ground. It's it could easily be a John Hughes movie. You know, yes. it's pushing towards that kind of territory, but I think it has that kind of indie spirit to it as well. So, you know, there's hundreds of movies out at the same time. Um, what remind I've saw well, only quite recently, so this is it obviously didn't inspire this. It wasn't inspired by this, but there's a film out recently called American Animals. Have you seen that one? No, I haven't. It's about a, a heist movie trying to steal a, a rare book from a, a like a college library. Um, it's it's got your boy from Dunkirk, the one who bangs his head, and he's also in Why the Last Man, the weird looking kid from Lobster and everything. Oh yeah, yeah, very. Um, in Chernobyl as well. Yes, him. Yeah, he he him, He's like basically a, the the leader of this gang who try to rob a picture. But they're again completely inept at what they're doing and complete idiots at what they're doing. Um, yeah. And it, when I was watching it, it only came to me after this. Also, this these two films share kind of similar DNA um, in that respect. Yeah. You know, this this idiot heist movie. Um, like I said, I much like you, I actually quite enjoyed it because it does sort of maybe play into more to my like indie enjoyment. And yep. the fact that most of the what I would consider the Wes Anderson elements of it are definitely not there. He's he's not found that element of it, you know, of, of what you would come to think of as a Wes Anderson film. You know, it, it does seem very different yeah. from what he's doing. Um, yeah. pe- pretty much only fact, only really transfers over later on is Luke and Owen Wilson. Really, isn't it? Because like, James Can never pops up again, does he? No, 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 <clears throat> no he doesn't. Uh, the Wilsons do. Yeah, the Wilsons do. Yeah, you know, consistently uh, through his movies. No, James Carden pops up again. It's a real. He did. I don't know how they got James Carden on a debut picture. Well, apparently Murray was up for the role as well. Was he? Yeah, well, this uh, is the only film that he's not in. Yeah, or, or he, was, he was considered for the role. So remember, I mean, Carden every now and again does do some random stuff. You know, he, he wasn't hot shit back in the late six, late nineties either. He wasn't like he was the James Cameron. No, this is true. You know, he, he'd been a long time since The Godfather, and it'd been. You know, quite quite lean. You know, done like was it Alienation or something in the early nineties? Yeah, yeah. You know, so it it wasn't like he was, you know, beating offers away. He was, you know, maybe in some ways happy for the work. And also, there is also that thing that's always been there that if you do a kind of indie film like this, it gives you good, like, you know, street cred for for anything else. You know, if it's a big hit, people remember you. You know, doing this small movie and you know it gets you bigger offers later on. True. Yeah. Um, it was when you look at. I'm just quickly looking at his filmography around this time and you're right he'd pretty much fallen off, out of the radar completely yeah there's a lot of tv movies and all that kind of stuff wasn't it yeah because it's good it's like half a decade after misery yeah probably his defining role along with godfather yeah, yeah. yeah. i used to go from like oh, I think, i'm sure i'm sure he was oscar nominated for misery in between misery and this there really wasn't much of interest in in that in that time frame um, other thing, other, other notable thing that came from this film is um his cinematographer um, a guy called robert yeoman oh yeah so who's worked on every single film he's done apart from the animated ones? Um, he's done a lot. He shot a lot of Kevin Smith movies as well, and I think they can see that with some of the, the shooting in this. Well, he shot Dogma specifically. That's a, the Kevin Smith movie he shot, which is by far Kevin Smith's best looking movie. 
Um, he's also been he's also been shooting recently. He shot for um, Paul Fee. He wrote he shot Ghostbusters and I think he wrote uh, Run Spy and stuff like that. So he's a very talented cinematographer. I think he's been nominated a few times for maybe Oscars and Indie Spirit Awards. Um, the film itself, like I said, I, I enjoyed it um, more than I enjoyed a lot of um, Wes Anderson stuff. It was a critical bombing. You know, it, it cost about five million bucks to make. Um, when you're looking at it, I don't really see where the five million is, but I guess that's sort of bog standard for a. a Indie, indie flick in the 19, uh, 1996 um, and it only it looks, it looks really low fi though yeah it looks... compared to his other stuff I don't know how it's 5 million it looks like half a million yeah because I, I, I was looking at it going, I don't see any difference in this and say something like you know slacker oh absolutely not yeah I'm stunned by that it cost 5 million yeah and I can't imagine I mean maybe I don't know how much it was James Cann's wages maybe maybe he took a chunk of money <laughs> yeah maybe it was James Cann yeah. um, because Owen Wilson wasn't anything before that I mean he was almost joining the army you know, rather than becoming a yeah. filmmaker, and there's no one else I've known it, and I don't think any locations are like sort of sets. Then it's all you know shot on location, from what I can see, and yeah. it doesn't seem that there's no particularly interesting like special effects or you know anything any big set pieces. So yeah, it's an, it's a surprising budget for you know for what you know for what it did. You know, five million. If you compare that again, go back to Kevin Smith. He shot Mallrats in '96 as well, I think, and it had a six million budget. And I can kind of see six million on the screen with, with um, you know, with Mallrats. There's there's a lot more movement of cameras, a lot more. Stuff. Oh, definitely. A lot more... a, the leap from Clerks to that is massive. Yeah. But this feels very much more in the Clerks domain. Yeah, exactly. So it seems not to that money. And like I said, it only it only grossed half a million, so it definitely was a bit of a, a bit of a bombing. Um, I don't even think it's you know one of those films that where a director hits it big later on and some of the early work becomes like sort of you know cult favourites. You know, I don't think I don't think this became like sort of a fan favorite, and it's just sort of one of the films like, well, yeah, you had to do this to get somewhere. Yeah, there's a lot. To, there is a lot to love, and I, I would recommend it. That yeah, was, I, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I don't want to be down on it. You know, I, I still think it's a it's a, a very entertaining film. And it's, yeah, yeah, it's it's well worth a watch for sure. Yeah, but definitely not one that like sort of true aficionados of Wes Craven style will probably kind of say you know just have to you know push it to the wayside a little bit. Yeah, you know. just like you say, one of those things that he needed just to get his name out there. Yeah. And then you get the critical acclaim, even if you don't get the the um, box office figures, and then he goes on to, to his next film. Yeah, uh, his next film was 1998, and it was um, Rushmore. Again, co-written by Owen Wilson, so Owen Wilson's you know, back on writing duties again. Um, this one um, had a bigger, bigger cast. It, um, Jason Schwartzman um, yeah. was the main man in it. Um, Olivia Williams was in it, and also Bill Murray in what was pretty much a Renaissance role. He was again Bill Murray, sort of falling on hard times at this point in time, hadn't he? Really? Yeah, yeah. he had. He had I mean, yeah, this was this was the beginning of the, the the Bill Murray Renaissance, and it's the beginning of their um, friendship. He's been in every Wes Anderson film from here on in. Yeah, Bill Murray. Um, I think before, he is anonymous. Same with Schwartzman, really. I think with Schwartzman, he 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 wasn't big in the past. This was his kind of first debut film, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, can I try to think of Murray as well? I mean, Murray, was it Kingpin? Maybe come out the year before or something? Maybe. Yeah, Kingpin, which is amazing. In, but uh, he he's definitely much an and credit in that one, isn't he? Sort of like it's he's he's it's, it's fleeting here. He has the he's got the and credit. You know, it's and Bill Murray in yeah, that film. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I guess this is also the start of like the Bill Murray the actor in many ways. Absolutely, it's absolutely right, mate. He's got a pathos to him. Yeah, it's almost like the the hard times that he fell on uh, kind of imbued him with that, and obviously he drew upon that with with Rushmore, and then obviously later on in, in, in other films such as Lost in Translation and Broken Flowers and things like that. But you're absolutely right. This yeah. is the beginning for Bill Murray of his uh, late career renaissance. Yeah, I mean he, he had that acting 
credit in acting kudos from something like say um, Groundhog Day because there is genuine oh, yeah. heart yeah, there and, is. and genuine emotion in that. But Bill Murray generally was obviously just known for the com- you know the comedy, which he was you know a master of. Um, did this did Rushmore come out roughly the same time as um, Lost in Translation? We're talking maybe within a couple of years of each other. <laughs> Translations 2003. Okay, so a wee, so bit, a wee bit later. A wee bit later, but wee not bit. four or five years, isn't it? Something like that? Yeah. yeah. Bit broken Flowers was in between, wasn't it? Maybe. Flowers was 2005, I think. Oh, was it? I, didn't. I thought it was more, I thought it was something in between there as well. Uh, but you can explain. What's the film about, essentially? The film is about um, Jason Schwartzman plays um, this very eccentric kid, I guess. Like a 15-year-old kid goes to this very... Um, prestigious private school um, and he's basically way out of his depth in terms of um, achieving grades and everything but he he's one of those kids and this is a very Wes Anderson trait to focus on a kid like this a kid who's just very eccentric and into all kind of extracurricular pursuits yep. focusing on that um, but it also focuses on his that, that very teenage universal theme of unrequited love yep as well, um, he meets um, Bill Murray. Um, he's <laughs> amazing at it. He's very, he's, he's somebody who's falling apart. Um, what I remember, his marriage is falling apart, um, and they become a kind of odd couple uh, of friends. Um, and then it, it kind of develops from there. He's yeah, the unrequited love follows, um, and there are twists and turns with regards to that and with regards to his friendship with Bill Murray as well. Yeah. Um, and it's really it's really funny. It's actually quite a hard watch at times. Yes. Yeah. I, I, find, I find Schwartzman a really awkward, and it, it's obviously deliberate and mm. awkward, at times not particularly likeable character, but then sometimes you are rooting for him too. He's, he's going through all the emotions. He has got that Woody Allen-ness about him a little bit, saying that... Um, yeah, yeah, that, oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great shout. Like, it's very Woody Allen. Yeah, Jesse Eisenberg's got the same thing, where you kind of, you want to like them, but sometimes you go, you're, just, you're too awkward to be likeable yes yeah yeah definitely um and yeah it's it's just an awkward film yeah and it's, a, it's one of them i i've worked my way back with where's anderson right so I, I i not completely but i start the first film i saw was royal tenenbaums okay and then, and then I, I i watched a few after that and then rushmore at the time i remember was almost perceived to be the most critically acclaimed yeah and i i watched it and in the, in the way that you feel generally about Wes Anderson, if Rushmore had been the first film I had watched, I don't know if I would have gone on to have the same reverence for him. Yeah. Um, I, I, I was left a little bit cold by Rushmore, even though there's a lot of stuff I really like. Yeah. Like Bill Murray in particular. Um, and it's the beginnings, it's the, really the beginnings of Wes Anderson's style. And I, I, did, I did enjoy a lot of that. And it, it's, it's a very good film. You can't deny it's a very good film, but it didn't resonate with me in the way that other films of his have. have. Yeah. What did you think of Rushmore? I, I don't, Rushmore I think is an okay film. Um, watching it again, relatively maybe the last year or so, what it reminds me of now, um, and, it, and it kind of reminds me of it in a different way, is of like the Lacrimoire stuff, like the um, Lobster and... Um, killing a sacred deer. Mm-hmm. It takes place. Yeah, in, yeah, yeah. It's a re- it's a reality you recognise, but ultimately you don't. There's something off about the entire reality there. It's like it's almost like if there's like multiple timelines in the world. You know, sort of that the thing they talk about in Slacker. Every time you've a, a thought, there's a, 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 a tra- another timeline spins off of that. This yeah. seems like a timeline where everything's roughly the same as you know it, but there'll be some. I don't know what the difference is, but there's something different about this world. You know. I think- you know, that's a criticism or a, a positive on Anderson as a whole, yeah. really, isn't it? Because you, he creates, and it's absolutely admirable, these worlds that are completely self-contained, 
yeah. and completely, resolutely, absolutely hits. And you can you can take that what you will. You can maybe find it a bit kooky and a bit irritating, or yeah. you can say, well, this is a world I want to be a part of. This yeah. is escape from my own world, but with still enough character and, and humanity there for me to enjoy spending time in that realm. But whilst Rushmore does give that up, I don't think there was enough there weren't enough likable characters for me to enjoy being in that world yeah. for that long. No, yeah, I agreed. I the, think. Yeah, but, um, the difference thing for me was that although Anderson, for the longest part, like you said, he makes these worlds that are, are, are very different from ours and you be kind of like you embrace it or you don't embrace it. This world he makes in this one it is different from ours, but he's recognisable. I don't yes. I don't recognise the world of World Ten and Bam Life Aquatic and things like that. I, I don't that world it seems alien to me in many ways. Um, yeah. I think that's where, that's maybe that's where the disconnect comes from myself. And that's not to say that every film I watch has to, you know, you know, take place in you know Western Scotland. It's one that you recognise. But yeah. I, I have to have an inroad to it. And, and Rushmore, I have some level of an inroad to it. Um, the other ones I don't so much. Um, this film also yeah. reminds me a lot of. Do you remember the film Me, Ellen, the Dying Girl? Yes. Again, it's got it's got that. That's what I think. That's what I, that's the, that's. If Anderson was went more that way, that, that's got weird elements in it as well. But again, it's, there's a more of a grounding in a reality that I recognise. Which Rushmore's yeah. got, Bottle Rocket's got, later on Brett kind of loses that. Um, this was, like you said, it, it was a massive critical hit. You know, it, it was made in a 10 million budget, which is pretty decent. Um, it didn't make a massive box, I think we're talking maybe about 11, 11 maybe also 17 or so million, so it wasn't a huge, you know, critical success. But it is, it is a film of his that's been entered into the Library of Congress yeah. in 2016, so it's his only film that's in there, um, despite the fact it was, it didn't win many, it didn't win any awards or anything like that, it wasn't hugely successful but it's the one that's, it's, that's survived and people seem to point at that one as he sort of mm. which is odd because, because I think people, I th- yeah because I think many people will say their favourite film isn't this one yeah it would be in my top three so yeah. well, I, I'm, I'm a bit befuddled by the love for it even though I like it yeah uh, I mean yeah. ultimately to watch a film about set around this time based around a high school student I'd probably rather watch Election than watch Rushmore yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, and they're, they're similar filmmakers in lots of ways, but and you could level at election well. Who were the likable characters there? Mm. <laughs> there's just something. There's some. There's a bit more. It's still got a bit more heart. Rushmore. Yeah. Rush, Rushmore feels a bit. It's like a character study without the need to make the characters likable. Yeah. It's the kind of thing critics like a lot more than. Than an audience. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I totally agree. It's, it's the audience has got to find something to root for, and yeah. even something even you've got to root for the bad guy. By all means, root for the bad guy. But there's there's yeah. no one in this and no one in this film that you want to root for. So it's, I, I'm saying, left really cold, and, and like I said, the alternate reality of it just sort of again didn't swing as well for me. But it did swing better than, than later films for me. So I, I've enjoyed it probably more than other films. Which is, I think you're right. What you're going to see is the ones that you enjoy least. I'll probably enjoy more, and <laughs> yeah. and, and so on. Um, next one up. Um, Probably going to say, I think this is probably you can. I mean, I know Rushmore has become a break, has become his biggest thing since because of like entering into the Library of Congress. But I'd probably argue the next one up is his sort of maybe breakthrough film, and that was in yeah, two, yeah. that was two thousand one, The Royal Tenenbaums. Um, again, co-written with Owen Wilson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like this one is, it seems like the, the, the this is what the critical acclaim of something like Rushmore gets you. It gets you the cast for this one. You know, you get like Bill Murray comes back in it. You get Gene Hackman coming into it as well. One of his. Yeah. Probably one of his quite later roles as well. You know, it wasn't long after this he sort of disappeared from from view. Um, Gwyneth Paltrow's in it, Ben Stiller's in it, Angelica Houston's in it, Danny Glover's in it, and both Wilson brothers are in it. Yeah, um, it got me his first Oscar nod. Him and Owen Wilson got um, 
nominated for best best original screenplay, and twenty one million dollar budget and ended up racking up seventy four million um, at the box office. So for again, a film is essentially an indie film. I know it's not an indie film; it's a studio indie. They'll be yeah. very happy with that. You know that that that, that kickback. You know twenty million, probably ten million advertising. So they basically doubled their money. You know on this one, so they'll be yeah. very happy with this. Um, did you like this one or this one you enjoy? Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm a, 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 as you know, I'm a, a massive fan of this film. Mm. This is easily my favourite Wes Anderson film. It's, it's in my top three films of all time. It's okay. a film I revisit every year. Um, I just I just adore everything about it. It was the film I, I came to first yeah. with Wes Anderson. Um, I, I think I rented it out about a year after it came out on mm. VHS. So that's a long time ago. I think I was only 18 or something. And I liked it, but I couldn't quite articulate why I liked it. Yeah. And then I, I kind of left it, and then I went back to it probably about three or four years later, and then I fell in love with it. Yeah. Um, it's it got everything I love about any kind of major art form, really. It's yeah. it's very literary. You know, it, the, the things that annoy people or irk people about Wes Anderson aren't necessarily the things that I love the most, but they're the things he's most renowned for. So his distinctive and characteristic stylistic quirks, his need to have everything looking just so and symmetrical in this little world where it's very uh, precise and kooky and a bit colourful and, and odd. Uh, those things I like, and I, I think they're really impressive because he's created a singular style. Every Wes Anderson film post Rushmore is couldn't be anybody else who made that film really. No, he's definitively but, got a, a style and he is, he's a filmmaker, you know, he's, he's in the... Completely. He's in the yeah. Brothers, the Tarantino way, where it Rod Rodriguez, Spielberg as well. And when you see that film, you can instantly recognise it as that is a Wes Anderson movie. And for that, you have to give them complete credit. Because there's very few filmmakers out there now who you genuinely go, I recognise this as a mm, somebody film. You know, it's there's not actually yeah. that many who are currently working this now. You know, who, who make such recognisable, you know, um, artwork. Very few. But, that, but those things aren't the, the tenets that I'm particularly interested in. Mm. But whilst I appreciate them and like, and I like that familiarity and that comfort when I watch a Wes Anderson film, I go, ah, there's, you know, some ornamental poodles, you know, at the corner. That's distinctly Wes Anderson. I'm not particularly bothered. Yeah. Things I, I, I gravitate to with regards to him are that literary sense that he's he's his writing is just really really deep mm. and character driven. So he, he focuses on major themes. And he really delves deep into characters, so you feel like you really get to know them once and all. So just in this film alone, you deal with um, neglectful parents and the effect it has on kids. It fucks them up. Um, deceit, a lack of trust, grief with Ben Stiller's character, mm-hmm. depression depression with Luke Wilson, mm-hmm. uh, jealousy with Owen Wilson. The, he wants to be part of this family, but he's the, the friend who's ostracized. Mm-hmm. Uh, addiction. Um, Quietly subdued people, desperate to scream uh, out their true feelings, but paralysed by inadequacy, self-doubt, all these things that I just, I really love, the kind of things I love reading in a great novel, and it feels very novelistic to me, even from Alec Baldwin doing the voiceover from the beginning, it's, it it is laid out like a very literal sense, it opens with a book, uh, and it's telling the story of Mm. this family, this dysfunctional, rich, uh, very talented, but completely messed up family and we're just following their story and Gene Hackman is as Gene Hackman always was absolutely incredible yeah. and anchors the whole film yeah um, it's interesting you mentioned a book because I know a lot of people compare it to sort of the work of, of Salinger it sort of has those similar yeah. themes and I, th- yeah. I, I don't think he's definitely he's definitely influenced by Salinger I'm yeah. sure it was based on a, a short story or something like that like I'm sure there's, there's something along or at least it, it sparks the inspiration yeah. or something like that 
I've read that before. Yeah. 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 Um, this is this is this is tough. Um, I think what you're saying, you ignore the Wes Anderson of it all. I think when I'm watching these films, I focus too much on it, and it, and it annoys me and takes me out of what I might be enjoying in the film. Right. Um, so when I'm watching, like you said, the deep pathos of an actor, you know, someone struggling with this. I'm focusing on like, why does he get the stupid mustache? You know, like what's what, what is this? You know, <laughs> you know, and, and ultimately that's my feeling, not the filmmaker's feeling. That that's me. Yeah. But it, it, it does take me out of the film. I think I'm I'm looking at sort of things that I maybe shouldn't be focusing on quite so much. You know, if he does these sort of weird little flourishes, I'm going, is that really required? Does it need yeah. the, does it need the constant voiceover of like sort of asides almost? He, he, it sort of take you out of the situation that's happened. I don't, other films, I don't think this has got that quite as much as other films that he's done have. Um, that's it's, it's that part of it that just takes me out of the film. Um, and I lose the interest in what else is happening um, in the movie. Which... And, and they're, they're valid points. They're valid points. It, it, they don't affect me at all in that sense. Um, but I can understand why they would great. But I think there's just so much good writing and, and fantastic performances here. Um and, and genuine humour and pathos. That yeah. There's just so much to love about this film that I absolutely adore it. Yeah, I mean, like, I can't fault a single performance in it because they're all great actors doing great work. Um, the writing is clearly very... It's excellent writing. There's no there's no question of, of the writing. Um, it's just, again, some something that you think should be full of warmth in some ways. It, it feels very cold to me. And maybe that's the way he's framed it. You know, it feel it doesn't feel like a world that I want to enter into or or, or understand to an extent. Um, right. And again, that's probably more on me rather than on him. You know. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, you know, he is utterly divisive in that sense. Yeah. And it, nothing says that more than two film buffs like you and I having pretty. Uh, you know, we, we can both appreciate it, but we we have pretty opposing opinions on on a fit on this film. Yeah. That, that says it more than anything, yeah. really, because as you say, he is a director that splits our usually mm. very unified opinion completely yeah. down the middle. And in my, my, my point of royal term, and also I want to talk about is I don't think Wes Anderson's a bad filmmaker. He's clearly not a bad filmmaker. He's clearly, clearly a fantastic filmmaker, but just leaves me cold. And there's other filmmakers who I know are great filmmakers, but they leave me cold. He's not just it's not just Wes Anderson. It's um, I think I'm looking at my DVD collection. I think the guys have left me cold at times. I'll be honest. There's times Scorsese leaves me cold. Right. There's certain yeah. movies I'm just, I, I don't embrace with Scorsese. Um, most of his catalogue I do very much enjoy, but there's films I'm just like, yeah. Fincher as well. You know, there's stuff. There's a lot of stuff Fincher I absolutely adore, but other stuff I'm going like, I can, yeah, I'm just, I'm not buying into that. Not just Alien Three, which everyone's like that, but um, a few other things. You know, so this, it, this is that means I feel not buying into it doesn't necessarily make it a bad film it just means it's just not for me but it no, does exactly yeah. that's the same with certain bands yeah even like there are bands you're like yeah, I know they're good but I just can't they don't click with me and I yeah. can't even articulate why yeah they just don't yeah and I know, you know I mean? and I know there's a way there's a film coming out I think next year I'll go to the cinema and see it I will go probably on opening of a couple of days to go and see it because I, I almost want to like it yeah you know because I know he's good yeah, and if some wait for that to click, and, and each time it's like, yeah, isn't clicking. Yeah, and, yeah. And maybe no, that's, I get it, man. yeah, maybe that's like you said. Royal Tenenbaums clicked with you, and from that everything else fell into place. But if you'd saw Rushmore first, maybe it wouldn't have clicked, and you wouldn't have really gone. Maybe not. Yeah, yeah, maybe not. I think, I think the first one I saw is the next one up, uh, which okay. is a nice sort of segue um, into 2004, the the Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. 
Um, strangely, not written by Owen Wilson, this one, not co-written. Um, Noah uh, Bombach, I think he's pronounced. Is that? Yeah. He, he was in, um, Owen Wilson was due to, but he was in rehab. I think he Is, had a, he's overdose, I think. I think he was heroin. Wow. Stage. Yeah. So Bamba stepped in. Right. So I was wondering. I was actually that was one of the questions I was going to ask you. I've been more aficionado than I am, which was, you know, why was Owen Wilson suddenly dropped off the radar in terms of, you know, working with him and, you know, not not being a writer with him, and that's the reason why basically it's a. Uh, yeah. He was not he got available. himself clean enough to perform in it, um, in a central role. But in the writing process, he was he was in rehab. Ah, okay. So like you said in the film, you've got Wilson, you've got um, Bill Murray again. He plays Zizou, doesn't he? Yes. Does. Yeah, yeah. Um, Kate Blanchett pops up in it. Um, it's Angelica Houston is in this one as well. Um, yeah. Will, Willem Dafoe making his debut in the, the Wes Anderson universe. Um, Jeff Goldblum as well. Michael Gambon and Bud Court, who I'm, I quite enjoy Bud Court and, and everything he does. Um, yeah. If memory, this is a sort of faux doc. It's a kind of fake documentary, isn't it? It is. Yeah. yeah. It's very influenced by Jacques Cousteau. Yes. Um, so. Bill Murray, who's absolutely fantastic in this, is this arrogant oceanographer, Steve Zizou, who's full of hubris um, and is determined to find this elusive, um, I can't remember what it was, some form of shark, yeah. determined to find it, um, who killed his best friend. And so he's grieving and mourning, and he's a bit mad and obsessed. And nobody believes him that this shark even exists. Yeah. So he's going a bit mad, and he assembles this crew of ragtag oddballs, as you'd expect in a Wes Anderson film. Um, Bill Defoe is a loyal, demented friend who would kill for him. Mm. Um, and he's, he's very funny in it, Will and Bill Defoe, actually. You have to explain then, how, how good is Bill Defoe in everything he does. You know, even, yeah, he's, even if he's doing... He's so great. You know, doing action, doing comedy, doing thriller, doing horror. Defoe never doesn't deliver, you know? Fantastic. Sorry. I, do a special on Villain Defoe. Oh, my like, God, everything. What a career. Yeah, just a magnificent career. He has done pretty much everything as well. He has done comedy yeah, as has. well. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, Willem Defoe has done pretty much everything. Sorry, continue with um, Life Aquatic. No, no, it's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a worthwhile side note. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so who else is involved? So Kate Blanchett is a reporter. I think she's heavily pregnant, yep. from what I remember. Um, she's on there to kind of document the whole trip. Um, and... There's also uh, Owen Wilson uh, ends up joining. He is also grieving. I think his mum died. It's been a while since I watched it. Um, and he ends up, he's he's a big Zizou fan, um, and he has a secret agenda where he believes that Steve Zizou had an affair with his now-deceased mum and is his real father. <laughs> so um, it's kind of, in that sense, I suppose it's a story about grief and obsession yep. the two sensible characters obsessed with finding this truth which may or which is perhaps their truth but not anybody else's yep. um, it's it's playing more for laughs than than ten of bombs ten of bombs is, is quietly funny but i think there's, there's a lot more comedy in zizu this seems like um, an, this does seem like an outright comedy to me like, you know it, for, for yeah. Most, yeah yeah i think so for the most part that is one moment which is i find when there's a moment when he, he is validated uh, it's a beautiful shot, actually, um, when they find the elusive shark, and Bill Murray's face—he's just so over, overcome with emotion. It's just a beautiful shot from Wes Anderson. It, you look at—I mean, the, the shark—he's decided to do an animated version of this shark for some reason. I don't really know why he did mm. that, but um, but it looks at everybody else, 
um, from the Sharks' perspective. And every, the whole ensemble cast is there. And I think it's probably the front cover of the DVD. Yeah. And it, it's just a beautiful shot, and um, and everyone believes them at that moment. That's probably the only real moment of great emotion, emotion in the film. But yeah. uh, for the most part, it's a, it's it's a comedy, and it's it's not that well received by people. But I have a lot of love for this mm. film, um, and I make, mainly for the, the dude just playing. Portuguese David Bowie songs around, <laughs> which is the most Wes Andersy thing. You can yes, ever that's yeah. So that might, might might fill you with murderous rage, but I enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, um, that that didn't annoy me. That part didn't annoy me. Um, you're right. It was. It's critically very underwhelming. I don't think it done particularly well critically or box office wise. I've not got the exact figures of the box office, but I think it didn't do great. It has no. since found quite a cult success. Yeah, it has. It's definitely been reappraised, and I think most Wes Anderson fans would have it quite high. It's yeah. one that wasn't appreciated at the time. Oh. Um, but he goes through a bit of a malaise after Tenenbaums in terms of after, he was a bit of a critical darling. Yeah, uh, even with Bottle Rocket, he was. You yeah, know, he didn't get the figures, but the first three films are pretty much revered. Yes, unanimously, and then he's got three films that uh, two films anyway that aren't. To the same degree, yeah. And he has a renaissance after that. This, uh, does this feel, is one of the ones. Yeah. It does feel like that thing that Hollywood does now and again, where you have three successes, we have to make sure you don't believe your own hype, and yes. we have to give you a little bit of a kick. You know, mm-hmm. um, even Tarantino's had it. But he took him a few more oh, to yeah. get there, but you eventually, you know, not everyone was a big fan of Kill Bill One. They found it kind of over the top and sort of. It's went, insane. And yeah. it's madness, but didn't people? There was critical, you know. You know, the, you know, distaste towards that film. Um, yeah. I, I really didn't like this film. This is the first film I, I think I watched it in two thousand four. I probably watched it in film class actually when we were at uni. Maybe about that time. Um, I just found it. Um, I think it was. I found it overly smug. Right. Like I find him, his writing and his direction. He's smug and he thinks he knows what he's doing, which he does know what he's doing. But he just. It feels self-aggrandizing to me. Like I know what I should be doing, and and it was summed up by the animated shark thing. Which yeah. That felt like what the like what the hell are you doing with this? Like why do you yeah. go for why do you go for a, a like openly and not like sort of bad CGI? It's a blatant animated out of a Disney cartoon shark type thing he, he goes for. Yeah. And, I I didn't like. I love that shot. I did, and what you spoke about earlier, a, a little. A little detail that can take you out of an emotional moment. Yeah. That is the perfect example of that. Yeah. Um, it didn't do it for me. It didn't take it out of it for me. I was just more of it. Well, that's odd. And then yeah. the emotion kind of swept over me. But I can't. I, I I can totally understand why that moment and this film can't irk. Because when you say all the things out loud, <laughs> I yeah. understand why it does great. But then I've got a friend who isn't a particular big Wes Anderson fan. Fans of hit and miss, and this is by far and away his favourite. So yeah, again, that's I, the thing with him. You know, you, you just don't know what anyone's favourite Wes Anderson film is going to be. No, um, totally not. Um, it feels as well a bit. It was, it's made for fans, but it's not made as a fan film. It's made more of a, like he's going to tell his fans what they have to like. You know, it's like because yeah, I because yeah. I because I'm doing this, it's clever. It, you know, it's yeah, not. I mean, it, maybe he's riding the the wave. Yeah, if he, if, his own wave. Yeah, so he's, he's he's the thing is. It must be, in in his defence, he's what he's our age when this film comes out. Yeah. he's 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 getting that kind of cast, you know that meat and and those kind of figures. Um, box office is starting to happen for him, and critical reverence is there. 
if you get the, some of the best actors in the world, some of the best actors they've ever been, who all wanted to work with you, oh. there aren't many. You know, the, the, there's going to be a bit of a fall. He probably needed this, and whilst I really enjoy this film, perhaps he needed the kicking. Yeah, and I don't think it was. It wasn't like kicked up and down the street, you know, until he was dead. It was just yeah, sort it was, of like it was just people just going and going about. Meh. I would. Well, the critical darling is disappearing up his own arse a little bit, just making three star films rather than five. Stars. Yes. You know, maybe that. Yeah. It reminded me a little bit of, and I'm going to be sacrilegious here, the Coen Brothers Lady Killers. And that's, that, that's harsh, but I know I know what you're saying in terms of thematically and in terms of what it represented. Yeah, it's a, that wave had to come down eventually. Yeah, they were, I think Lady Killers. Yeah, I think Lady Killers yeah. a slightly better movie than this. I, I would I'd probably want to watch Lady Killers and watch Steve Zissou again. But it's almost like, it, even though it's still a very good film because it's not up to the standard of people people expect. It feels like a much harder kicking that it's getting than it really deserves. Yeah, yeah, that that's a really good point. That's true. You know, yeah. by no uh, means bad movies, but just like you didn't really need to kick it that hard. It's not. I mean, you know, probably this film probably came out at the same time as fucking Norbit or something. You know, and you're going. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You know, I didn't like either film, but I tell you one thing: I definitely disliked Norbit a shit ton more than I disliked <laughs> the Life Aquatic. You know. Right. Um, well, that's reassuring. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> the only film I've walked out of the cinema for. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, and also, when you, true. Norbert, yeah, it's the only thing. I came really close to walking out of Anchorman 2. Oh, yeah, you should have. I did, yeah. I should have. Um, well, sorry, that's the only film I've walked out of cinema because of a film, not because of a crowd. Right, yeah. I have. Numerous horror films, I guess. Yeah, I have given up on, on films because of a, an audience being, like, you know, arseholes, essentially. But to yeah, actually walk right. out of a film because I just was going, I'm not sitting here watching this, I, this, this is utter shit. Um, and I, I mean, I sat through Angry Birds two this week, you know. So I was sat through some shit. Um, and I sat through, so you don't have to, folks. Yeah, I sat through Holmes and Watson. I sat through um, Mordecai. You know, I've sat through some shit. Bloody hell, yeah, fair play. Yeah, but Norbert was my. That's that's my lane. That's that's that's. that's. <laughs> I've never seen it. I've never. Seen no, it. don't don't. It's it's horrendous. It, it's so we're off track a little bit, but it's so bad it cost. Um, Eddie Murphy and Oscar. Yeah, for the Dreamgirls. Yeah, he was going to get one for Dreamgirls and basically said we can't give it to this guy for that. But like, you know, it's like, but they gave, did they give De Niro one for something? And it was before they got, before Little Fockers came out and he's basically come out and said that in his acceptance speech. Like he got oh, it. Oh, right. Like, I don't know if he got like the Legendary Award or if he got like an award for, um, did he win? Did he win for um, Silver Linings Playbook? He was nominated. I don't know if he won. Don't know. It must be like a legendary award. It must be like a legends award they got or something. He yeah. basically comes out and says like you must have given me this before you saw Little Fockers. So it's the same idea. Um, baby, and also when I when I go back and watch Life Aquatic, um, it doesn't feel like he's stretching in anything or changing. And you know I can see progression between now. I can now I've watched it between Bottle Rocket. There's a jump to to Rushmore. He's he's changing his style. He's sort of honing a style and he's doing something with it. From Rushmore to Royal Tenenbaums, there's another again. I think another change. It gets more surreal in Royal Tenenbaums. It's it's, it's even more of an alternate reality. But then from Royal Tenenbaums to Life Aquatic, it feels like just tire spinning. There's, there's no. It feels like it's just, it's the same. It's the same thing. Yeah. It, the other people, other people would say, well, maybe he found his style. Yeah. Maybe that's where he wants to cement it now, and he just wants to tell. Different stories using that same style, I suppose. It's absolutely, yeah. bit, it's absolutely correct, but I, I, um, I felt it was too much of a similarity. Even, mm-hmm. you know, you look at 
again, we go back to look at Tarantino, you look at the, the Combrals, yes, they use the same style, but they always seem to, it, it changes, they bring in new elements, they, they don't always, they don't stick to what they're used to, you know, yeah. the Combrals. No, I, would, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with yeah. that. It might be something simple that like the Combrals throw in, it's, you know, they base it on Homer's earlier, and they throw music into it, you know, they throw that in it, that's, it's different, it's, it's doing something you're not expecting, and that, that lacked it. Um, what is interesting though, there was a gap between, the Royal Tenenbaum's gap was from 2001 to 2004, so it was a good three year gap, but his next film was out in 2005, um, which is the Darjeeling, Darjeeling Limited, I think it's called. Um, again, co-written, but not with Bombac this time, it was co-written by Roman Coppola, who I'm assuming must be a member of the Francis Ford Coppola dynasty somewhere. Son. The yes, son, is uh, it his, his son? Sophia's son, yeah. Sophia's yes, son? Sophia's brother. brother. Right, okay. Um, Francis Ford's. Francis yeah. Ford's son. Um, so he's the least successful Coppola? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's the one that's mocked at the dinner table. Um, <laughs> he's only got like four Oscar nominations or something. But yeah, he's exactly. yeah, like <laughs> He's resoundingly mocked by the rest of the family for, for, being, for being unsuccessful. He's just laughing in his face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Um, also, Jason Schwartzman was on writing duties as well for this one. Um, that's the first yeah. time he's been involved as a, a writer with with, with um, Anderson. Yeah. And the film, again, Owen Wilson comes back in this one, um, yeah. taking on a, a central role. Um, Aidan Brody. Is it Aiden? Yeah, Aidan Brody. Um, yeah. Jason Schwartzman as well, and also uh, Angelica Houston as well. And Murray's in this, but it's pretty much a cameo he's in this, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, he's not, he's not in it for long, um, but he is in it. And he is good. Um, um, have you seen this film? I have seen it. Um, I saw it once, and from when I saw it, it feels like someone tried to imitate what he does. I think he's he's trying a bit hard in Dark mm. Healing Limited to try and recapture Royal Tenenbaums. The, the es- yeah, the essence of, of what he felt made him great. There's a lot to love in Dark Healing Limited, um, but it. it it doesn't have the rewatchability no. of the best Wes Anderson films. I've probably only seen it twice, I think. Um, and there's nothing you can really say that's that's bad about it. No. It just doesn't have the magic of his earlier stuff. Um, but I, there's still a lot to love. It's basically about three brothers uh, travelling around India. I think it's a homage to one of... I mean, this is so Wes Anderson, but a homage to one of his favourite Indian filmmakers um, or something. But... Um, yeah, it's they're basically searching for their mother as well. Mm-hmm. I think he's played by Angelica Houston. Yeah. Uh, well, and their father has just died. So, uh, and they're all quite tempestuous. One's yep. withdrawn. One's impulsive. Yeah. And there is an interesting dynamic. One thing I would say, I don't believe they're brothers. <laughs> that's but I, they, they never felt like they were brothers. That's yeah. That, yeah, that's there's that that that's, there's other films like that where. There's people supposed to I mean supposed to play family members, and if they don't, if that because we've both got you know siblings, and there's, there's, yeah. a, there's a certain dynamic that happens between siblings, even if you mm-hmm. don't see each other very often, there is sort of there's a shorthand or something that happens with siblings, and yeah. if you don't believe that on screen with whoever it is, then you it does take, it does make you go nah, I'm not really, yeah. I'm not buying it. It, it feels that he's trying to do a kind of buddy movie, and they're also trying to reconnect with each other because yeah. they're all. And, and that's, as you say, it's trying to recapture Tenenbaums. But Tenenbaums, yes, they all looked markedly different, mm. but they they did feel like they were siblings. Like there were there were hidden moments when they're together. There's a there's a there's a there's a, there's a it, it's it's in the things unsaid. Yeah. You know, when they when they look at each other, or give each other a certain 
disdainful sigh or something like that. Oh. You know, it's, it's very, it's like the hidden moments. Whereas in here, it's, it's on the nose, trying to trying to build this relationship between people who don't really believe are brothers. So there is a, a lot to enjoy with this film, but it's it's um, a wobbling. A slightly wobbling filmmaker who's still making interesting stuff and trying to reclaim past glories, um, and it probably won't makes for the film I I watched back least. Yeah. Um, out of all, uh, apart from Bottle Rocket, probably. It's definitely the, if to, to like go back to music now and again. It's a filler album, isn't it? It's the one where they've had the big success. They've probably got like a five contract, a five album deal with the studio or the the record company, and they've got to get an album out quick, and they want to try and do it. And so they try and do. What they know works, and but it just it lacks a heart, you know. And, and yeah, it's, it's like a substandard version of, of the best work. It yeah. sounds there's the familiarity of what made you love the band. Yeah, it, it's a bit phoned in. Yeah, it's when you, it sounds incredibly dismissive for a film that probably yeah. took two years to make. Yeah, right, but, yeah. Right, <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> it's broad strokes. Yeah, it, you know? but if we're at a gig and he started singing it, we'd be going to the bar to get a drink during this one, hoping for the yeah. next song to be yeah, one of the, the early ones. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, up next, so we took a bit of a break after 2005, and the next film was 2009, um, which I'm assuming he was making at the same time because of the, the type of film it is, and that is The Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yes. Which is his first foray into proper full anime. I know, he, like you said, he has some animated elements in a few other films, um, but this is his first like, proper all animation, and it, it is stop motion, isn't it? Yeah. It is? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, 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 uh, it's very surprising that it took him this long yeah, to, to, to delve animation. Yeah, totally, because he seemed to really, he seemed to be a guy who, who liked animation, he has like, you know, real elements in it through all his films. In the film you get the voice talents of George Clooney, uh, Meryl Streep, uh, Jason Schwartzman, um, Bill Murray, uh, William Dafoe, Luke Wilson, Owen Wilson, everyone pops up in it I think at some point, Tilda Swinton appears in it at some point as well, um, everyone's in it. This is genuinely my favourite um, uh, Wes Anderson film. Yeah, it's great. I think it's a, it. it's a gleefully funny, charming, and it's a family film. I know it's got dark elements too, but it's a family movie. It, it works. You can show kids this film, and I think it totally works fine. Um, yeah. It it's a good adaptation of the Roald Dahl, um, Roald Dahl yeah, Roald Dahl book. Um, it is. Yeah. The Anderson elements of it, I think, are subdued enough that they actually become character quirks rather than annoyances to me in this film. Right. You know, like the Mister Fox clicking. You know, he does a week. Yeah. That's not in the book, finally. That's not in the book. No, it's not. No. But in the film, it becomes a charming sort of thing. And maybe that's because Clooney has got the voice and he can pull it off. You know, and it's, yeah. it's, quite a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sexiest fox since Robin Hood. Um, <laughs> but to me, this film really works. Um, again, it's written by Noah Baumbach as well, and it got the uh, Best Animated Feature nomination as well. But no, I, I think it's a really fun, well done happy movie and I think it's just one of the ones that you would sit back and you'd relax and watch it any time and, I, and I'd happily show like my kid, if I had kids I would show them it as well and I'm sure when Hunter gets of age you'll probably show him to Hunter as well he'll probably enjoy it as well he already loves it You're, uh, yeah. yeah he already loves it it, yeah, it totally works fun. how did um, as a as a Anderson fan how did Anderson fans take the, the idea that he was making a like completely animated feature was it did it go down well at the time for me to remember most Anderson fans were just surprised it hadn't happened sooner. Yeah. Um, because he's got so he's such a uh, we've touched on it earlier, but he's got such a, a visual mind in so many ways. Yeah. And this, you are restricted in what you can do. You yeah. Know, um, in, 
than the live action uh, setup, aren't you? So you actually have um, a, a bit more opportunity for, for mad flowing creativity, I guess, yeah. in, a, in a vertical world. Um, so it, it, it's one of them that when it happened, I was a bit skeptical, but Roald Dahl was the first author I, I ever loved. Yeah. So Fantastic Box is, is just a classic book. Yeah. I love everything Roald Dahl ever wrote. Um, and Wes Anderson, as we know, is, is one of my favorite directors. So I was very happy with with it, with it happening. It's slightly trepidatious. Yeah. Only slight, slightly. But no, I, I, I can't fault this film. It's 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 his biggest crowd pleaser, without yeah. doubt. And yeah. he, he really tones down the bits that are annoying, but he keeps enough quirky surrealism to keep the fans yeah. diehards happy, but also intrigue um, skeptics like yourself and kids as well. So yeah. it's going to it's gonna appeal to everybody, and it's George Clooney's in perfect casting. Oh, well. yeah. It's, it's absolutely perfect. Yeah. Uh, Bill Murray is Clyde Badger, also incredible. <laughs> um, very funny. Uh, and uh, Wes Anderson's brother as Christopherson, also very good. Yeah. Um, yeah, with the, with the exception of probably Bottle Rocket, it is definitely the most un West Anderson film. You know, it, yeah. it, it will appeal to the biggest audience. Annoyingly, though, for a budget of forty million to make it, it only made forty six point five million at the box office. Did it? Yeah, That's which surprising. I thought it was much bigger. No, I mean, if you look at that, I mean, it, it probably forty million to make it. I'm probably guessing maybe fifteen or so million to promote it, maybe twenty million. You know, yeah. so ultimately a loss on that film. Which is a shame because every time I, every time I, people ask me for a good animated film for kids, you know, beyond, because people do, you know, beyond just the usual Disney stuff, the, the two that I rec- always recommend are Fantastic Mr. Fox and Iron Giant. That, those are the two films yeah. that I, I always recommend. Is like you should definitely watch these films. It's not Pixar, it's not Disney, but they are brilliant. Yeah, both fantastic you know? selection. Although Iron Giant will rip your heart right now. Oh, I'm, I mean, Iron Giant's one of the. I mean, it's one of the greatest films, probably animated films wow. of the last fifty years. You know, and people, it's always it's it's just always forgotten. It's a real shame. It is a shame. Yeah, because it's a beautiful, like beautiful. Brad Bird. I mean, Bradbury doesn't do much wrong, and that's proof that man, man is man's made the two best animated films of probably the last like twenty odd years with Incredibles and that. You know, and he's yeah. and he's kind of forgotten. Um, but yeah, so it, it it's not made for good radio when we both agree on a film. That's that's less fun. But yeah, we both really enjoy <laughs> Fantastic Mr. Fox. Um, up next, 2012 goes back to live action with Moonrise Kingdom, um, this time written with Roman Coppola again, um, yeah. starring Bruce Willis is in for his first turn around, same with Ed Norton, he's, this is his first go, isn't it, as well? Yeah, they're yeah. both alumni now, they yeah. pretty much in most of the stuff, but this is the first foray for both of them. Yep, yeah. uh, Bill Murray back again, um, Frances McDormand, was she, was she in Fantastic Mr Fox as a voice? Actually, because it's Meryl Streep, isn't it? Yeah, I'm trying to think if she was in it as well, because she's like... Is she the first crossover from the Coen Brothers universe? It's a good question. I think she might be. Yeah. I think she might be, surprising. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Tilda Swinton's in it as well, and Jason Schwartzman's um, back in it as well. Um, this film, to me, it, 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 it sums up everything I dislike about um, Wes Anderson. The idea itself, I really enjoyed. And... The story itself, I actually thought was relatively. I enjoyed it. I thought it was. I thought it was well done, and I, I found it engaging enough. It's the other flourishes that just made it, just dulled me and just left me cold. And I'm not saying anything different. I've not said about the other films, but that's the simple thing about it. It just has Wes Anderson extras are what didn't do it for me. But then, if he doesn't do those, 
is there a film to be made there? Maybe not. And unsurprisingly, this is my favourite Wes Anderson film since Tenenbaum. Yeah. So <laughs> that, that's that's where we're at. It's it, it's no surprise. I mean, the listeners will, will gather by now what what our feelings are with yeah. Wes Anderson because it's more Wes Anderson. Um, so yeah, this is I I think potentially his sweetest film because it, it really kind of delves into a story of. Um, nostalgia and childhood love and you know coming of age but in a very Wes Anderson way yep. the coming of age film is being made to death but yeah. I, I absolutely adore it as a genre or mm. sub-genre whatever you want to call yeah. it um, and yeah I, I've, I've got a lot of time for Moonrise Kingdom again I've got another friend of mine it's his favourite Wes Anderson by a country mile and I've got another friend who just it didn't like it at all yeah. um, so you know this, this is the, the you know, it's, it's clear again with, with Wes Anderson. You can never really call it for people. Um, there is what I would say about this film. There's a lot going on. Yes, I think, yeah. There's a, there's, a, there's a lot going on. There are times where actually it was a lot better on repeated viewings. Mm. The first time I, like my friend, had probably built it up a bit too much, and he said, "This is as good as Terror Bombs," and I, I still don't think that, but I, I don't think it's far off. Mm. Um, and I, I found there was a lot to unpack, a lot of sub-characters, a lot of sub-plots, yeah. and that can, from your perspective, I can see why that would be irritating, because you basically just want to focus on the kids, because yeah. um, that's where the magic happens, you know, the, the kids are fantastic in it, um, and sometimes it feels like they're maybe trying to just shoehorn all these big-name actors into smaller parts, and you're thinking why, well, we don't need, necessarily need that. Yeah. Um, repeated viewings, I, I just think that that really works, and adds a real... Um, levity to it but initially it could perhaps seem a bit bloated I, I know it, it, it didn't win him he hasn't won an Oscar has he but I think it, he was nominated again for him and Coppola were nominated for yeah it was, it was nominated yeah. I know it was, a, it was a pretty decent success it, only, it was only budgeted at 16 million and it made 68 just shy of 70 million um, at the box office wow. so again he isn't making film for the mainstream that's very clear he's not making it to make 150 million he's not making it to make 500 million out of his films he's no. making them to maybe do Woody Allen numbers you know mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Make yeah. it make make it for between ten and twenty, and maybe make back sixty to eighty. That's that's or a hundred if you're lucky. He's, he's making those kind of movies, and that and I'm a big opponent. I'm big. You know, I, I I enjoy those movies. And I want those movies to get made because there's not enough of those movies getting made around. So happy he's doing that. He's not. He hasn't sold out for the big film yet. I've noticed. You know, he's he's very much still no, sticking right. to to his you know auteur status. He's not trying to make. I'm not saying he has to go make Godzilla, which would be interesting. Did make Godzilla, but. He's, <laughs> but he's never really been lured away to the big studio to make sort of like one of their franchise, a franchise film or a film just under their umbrella. It's all very much his own vision and image, and I imagine because yeah. of that, that explains number one the gaps between films, and I'm sure every single one of these films is not easy to get off the ground. No, you know even no, even with the cast of Willis Norton Murray, you know it's it's not going to fly. You know with most studio producers, they're not they're not going to be happy to make these kind of films that they know is a risk. And as much as it might get a lot of credit, like you know, Cannes and Berlin and Sundance, that doesn't necessarily put asses on seats in your local multiplex. You know, when it's going up against, you know, Batman. You know, and yeah. So there's a there's a huge credit there that he's actually still making these films, and he hasn't done the whole one for you, one for me thing. Um, and he's been relatively consistent. You know, you know, getting these out. It's you know maybe three, four years of film. You know, he's not sitting down for you know like you know, um, you know Polanski or you know. No, no. Even, what's his name? Dunkirk. Uh, I can't remember his name. Oh. Yeah. 
My God, have I got nope. the, the director right of Batman now? I can't remember his name now. Nope. Yeah, Nolan. Yeah, Nolan can take, you know, five, six years between films. You know, he can go for, you know, yeah. you know he, he's, he's not prolific. He takes a lot of time. Even, you know, Cameron, he takes a long time between a movie sometimes. Um, I, remember when I, seen, I just remember when I seen this film in the cinema. Like I did see this one in the cinema. Um, people around me were laughing. People around me were enjoying it. And I was just sitting there kind of just very nonplussed by it. You know, and I think yeah, that, I, I, it's not as funny. It's funny in places. I, I found it more. I, I find it more touching yeah. than, than funny. I mean, what I, what I would say. I mean, this is what, nearly I don't know, eight, seven, eight years old. Yeah. It's it deals with um, mental health and disaffected young people, which is really kind of ahead of the curve. Yeah, no, definitely. Not really, yeah. It's not really touched touched yeah. upon in, in mainstream filmmaking around this time. So that. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. The focus is on the kids. Maybe it's just the sideline stuff gets yeah. in the way of that. Um, interesting what you said is the idea of like the multiple story angles. You know, having like so many asides and so many sort of different plot lines. And you only want to focus on one. That leads us on to his next film, which I think is a big downfall. Of the next film, uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, again, yeah. co-written, but this time by Hugo Guinness, which is a great name and almost sounds made up. But. <laughs> but you know, it sounds, yeah, it sounds, it sounds, it sounds or, or like a like a premier manager name or something. You know, it sounds like you know. <laughs> yeah, when you reach twenty forty six. Yeah, Hugo Guinness. You know, um, <laughs> so uh, in this film is um, Ralph Fiennes making his first appearance. I think um, Adrian Brody's in it as well. Uh, William Dafoe is in it. Harvey Keitel, uh, Jude Law pops up. Ed Norton. Um, as you tell if you know if I ever was on a film going to get on side with me, it's got Sasha Ronan in it, so that's you know that's playing into yeah. my into my hands. Um, Tilda Swinton and is it Owen Wilson in this one? Or is it Luke Wilson? I can't remember. It's Owen, I think. It's Owen, yeah. Yeah. Um, this is his biggest hit by a long, long way. By a long way, yeah. You know, twenty-three million budget, one hundred seventy-five million box office, so it's a huge, a huge success. Um, for that for that level, um, nominated for best picture, I think from what I remember, the, the best picture nomination probably bumped its box office. I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was out in America, then got the nomination and that bumped it in Europe and it came out here because, you know, the, the on the back of the Oscar buzz, probably made people yeah. who might who might not go and see an a, a Wes Anderson film to go and see it because it, oh it's an Oscar nominee or not or you know, yeah, yeah. same thing oh. with, you know it happens all the time. It's not uncommon. Also nominated for the first time for best director. Um, and for best screenplay as well, so it's definitely you know by far his biggest sort of commercial and probably critical hit if you think of it in terms of you know that we garnered on it. Um, it does feel the most Andersony of Anderson films. It feels like a victory lap. You know, it's a, it's a greatest hits almost. Oh, couldn't agree more. It's yeah. greatest hits of Wes Anderson without doubt. Yeah. And that's why not to. I think it is well directed. There's no issue with that. But Hollywood loves to congratulate people who have who have done much in the industry and have survived in it and have, you know, persevered to a great degree and have stuck to their guns to a great, to a great, lot, to a great extent. So it feels like his nomination for this was one of those, it's not specifically for this film, it's for, you know, for Moonrise Kingdom, for, it's, for, it's for your body of work that you've, you've done a consistently strong body of work over the past this was, you know, about twenty years, maybe eighteen years in his career at this point in time. It's 
it's rewarding that more than it's worth. I mean, the film itself is fine. It's it's not a bad film. I I, I did enjoy it more than I say I enjoyed Moonrise Kingdom or um, Zizou. But it did feel like a very much like it, it's it's honouring the what he did and the fact that the cast he's got in this film as well. Sort of like it's his greatest hits cast as well. It's like it's almost like they've all came back to like to to, you know, to to enjoy this victory lap. You know, Coen Brothers were guilty of it as well. You know, um, Hail Caesar could be really seen as that in many ways. It's sort of them having that sort of like let's just do one for us and make one for the fans. It's just it's the most Coen Brothers of Coen Brothers film. I would maybe argue as well, Hateful Eight might be the same for Tarantino. It's him doing the most Tarantino type dialogue and film and just making a film all dialogue. This felt like a, like a Wes Anderson film that he's just trying to do a film for everyone. And Hollywood enjoyed that and Hollywood rewarded him for that. Um, as a fan, would, were you okay with that? Did you, did you enjoy it? I, I, I like it a lot. Yeah. But I don't. I, 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 I find it really funny. It is very rewatchable as well. Yeah, so I agree. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. May Fives is fucking hilarious. Yeah. He's really good. Um, uh, Wes Anderson fans, certainly myself and, uh, you know, scary the internet stuff mm. I think we kind of thought well yeah we always knew he was this great so this is like it feels a bit like uh, as you allude to Scorsese winning for The Departed and not yeah. for Taxi Driver and not for Raging Bull yeah. you know there's no way that t- this is better than Tenenbaums for me or yeah. you know, or, um, you know Moonrise Kingdom even for me I, I, I really enjoy it and it's it's madcap um and it's it's bright and colourful and vivid and funny and it's it's it, it's quietly sad you know it's it's a, there's a really sad end yeah which is kind of thrown in there and it comes from nowhere mm. and it just completely kind of dampens the the optimism and madcap frivolity that you've had throughout um, it feels like this is linked to World Ten of Arms for me like this feels like the hotel and they've he's almost thought well I'll do a kind of sub spin off this could exist yeah. in the same world yeah um, and that that because of that it's got that familiarity and as you say it, you, you've articulated it perfectly in my opinion it is a great hit it is Hollywood catching up and celebrating someone that maybe they neglected and it is them trying to congratulate someone when actually they're congratulating themselves <laughs> um, yeah for, for finally noticing it's, yeah. it's the same thing we've done with Linklater when they gave him the the for boyhood you know they they annoyed they, they ignored 15 films before that that were fantastic yeah you know they, yeah, they yeah, barely, yeah that's, that's it that's a perfect comparison you know. um, and yeah I think as a Wes Anderson fan I was very happy to see him you know, do so well you know, actually and with him getting more money means he can make more films so I'm happy but I wouldn't say this is his very best work but I would say it's one of his most rewatchable films and certainly it is a bit, it is a bit of a crowd pleaser again because yeah. there's loads of comedy in there yeah. so I think lots of people enjoy it for that reason yeah. and we talked about it before you know, sometimes you need this hit even if it's not your best film but it's one that hits by an audience because this buys you so much goodwill that you can make another five films off the back of this totally you know yeah Linkley, like I said, mentioned Linkley before. Linkley, I mentioned before. He he, he enjoyed making Skiller Rock. He had a lot of fun making Skiller Rock. But what he loved most about Skiller Rock was that film made Boyhood. Yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. It's exactly a right. it's a good will you get for making that film that gets you something else. And he's not the first director to do this. And I'm not saying he was doing Grand Budapest Hotel for that. I think he's generally making the film he wanted to make. And it is you can't argue, you can't say there's any sort of 
producer interference or studio interference on this because it is a hundred percent a Wes Anderson movie all the way through, and you can imagine every decision made yeah. on that film was his. But I think he he knew he was making a crowd please on more than he was making the the art that he made in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think maybe it's it's a, a filmmaker just becoming a bit more assured with himself in the sense that oh well maybe I can just make it a bit lighter in tone maybe yeah. I can make it funnier and a bit more like a Marx Brothers caper yeah. at times it's a bit goofy and silly rather than taking itself a bit too seriously so maybe that's why it resonated a bit more yeah no definitely like I said I probably enjoyed it more than any of other work apart from Fantastic Mr Fox um, mm-hmm. I think that was because it was it was, it was it, the thing is it was full Wes Anderson but it yeah. did feel like Wes Anderson light in a way in a weird odd way yeah, you know, yeah. It, it's a, the shackles of, of trying to be an artist are stripped off a little bit. Yeah, and, there, and I found that there was a lot of fun in it, and I think it's anchored by I really enjoyed the Ralph Fiennes performance in it. I thought it was a, it was a great um, yeah. performance in it, and I, I think that got it for me. But I, I didn't love the film, but I definitely, when I was watching the cinema, I enjoyed it more than I expected to enjoy it. Um, well, that makes me happy. Yeah, I enjoyed it more. Um, after, after that, his final film so far, um, which is 2018, Isle of Dogs. Um, co-written again by Roman Coppola and uh, Jason Swartzman and I can't remember the Japanese gentleman's name who also wrote some of the dialogue as well it's Namora I think his, his surname is yeah yeah. yeah. Um, voice this time it's a done all um, stop motion animation um, so voiced by Brian Cranston um, Ed Norton Ed, um, Bill Murray um, Balaban's in it as well Francis McDormand Scarlett Johansson um, Taylor Swinton, huge, huge cast um, yeah. in this film as well. Um, it was interesting to me that he, he followed up the goodwill of Grand Budapest with this. It felt like he maybe had, he been wanting to do this for a while, like he maybe had this idea and he was kick, kick, kicking it around and he knew he'd maybe only get one chance to make this. Yeah, yeah, perhaps. It's a very weird film. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, it's, I, I think he. he potentially could only make this on the back of a massive hit because yes. as you say this is a tough sell very tough sell um, mm. um, was nominated for Best Animated Feature which is you know impressive in itself made up made 64 million at the box office again not bad for this kind of type of animation it's, it's essentially it's a fantastic Mr Fox is a family animation this is not a family animation in my opinion this, this is an adult animation oh no oh no this is not a family animation at all yeah. this is this is potentially his darkest film yes it's um, it's it's pretty fucking bleak. Um, from the from the one goal, it's forgiving and harsh at times. Yeah, um, and you mentioned like sort of the the, the the like we talked about it in Moonrise Kingdom and Grand Budapest, sort of the like so many narratives. I felt this is the same problem. There was, there was way too many stories that were just jumping around, and yeah. it was always kind of going. And at the same time, this was happening, and that's a really tough thing to do and keep an audience engaged all the way through it. You know, to do these I, constant asides. Yeah. I felt I, I I agree with you. I, I enjoyed this film, but I I go into watching any Wes Anderson film with with real excitement, um, and I came away a little bit deflated yeah. on the back of it. And I think it was a bit bloated, and I think it was a collection of really good ideas. But he didn't. He could have edited a few of them out, um, and I was actually a bit confused at times. That's <laughs> that was the issue. I had a feel like I was watching the film and not really understanding what was supposed to be happening. Yeah. And and say what you want, but my my opinion on the rest of it, I knew what was going on in those films. You know, something I didn't yeah. agree. But I I knew the story, I know the structure, I know why he was doing things. 
this I was like going, I don't really get the story. I don't understand what the story purpose is and where it's going and what it's doing. And yeah, I just I found it very bloated. Um, too many yeah. story, too many story strands. Way darker it had to be. And I thought very not. This is not his fault, but I thought it was very badly promoted. Because it was promoted as a kids' film essentially. You know? Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I I watched it and kind of vetoed it probably about a year ago or something. And I. Uh, to see if Hunter would be interested in and within about 10 minutes I was like good god no like, yeah. it's just not a kid friendly film at all but then it's marketed as such and yeah. I think kids have been very traumatised oh, I, mean, uh, uh, I think it's the fact I think it's the fact the studio saw it's animation Fantastic Mr Fox was, was what it was the kids will love this and I saw it in a cinema with a lot of kids in it and, and parents were taking their kids out oh, really? number one because the kids either A they found it too dark for their children which I can totally understand or B oh, the, yes. the kids just weren't engaged you know, the, the no, your, your kids aren't going to be engaged. It's so, as ever with Anderson, it's so um, yeah. dialogue-heavy, but it, it feels especially dialogue-heavy, yeah. actually. And there's a lot of, like as you say, substrata narratives going on. And there's um, so much dialogue in Japanese as well, which kids are not going to fire yeah, with either. Yeah, yeah. it's... Um, it didn't really click with me that yeah. much. I liked elements of it. I thought Brian Cranston was a fantastic dog. Yeah. Was excellent casting. Um it's not really that much. I, I was, I was, I have to say, and I say this very reluctantly. I was disappointed with Island Dogs. Yeah. Whole. Which based on the cast that had you thinking this was something special, and it just it wasn't. Um, no. Yeah, I'm, I'm much the same as yourself. Um, so that, that is the end of his filmography. Um, as we always do, what, there's only ten films, so we'll see what's your top two or three. What, what, what would you go with? Um, so ten of arms, yep. unanimously number one, um, and then I'll have. Um, Christ, I'll probably go Life Aquatic and then Moonrise Kingdom. Nice. Um, I want unsurprisingly go for Fantastic Mr. Fox. Um, probably then say Bottle Rocket, and then mm-hmm. if we're going to say number three. I'd probably say Grand Budapest. Uh, if we're going okay. to say I'm going to yeah. watch, if those are three, I'd watch again. Um, Honestly, genuinely, I mean, I've, like, I've, I've probably come across very negative in what I'm saying about him, because um, these films haven't always engaged me, but I'm always interested to see what you can do. Well, you've seen everything, yeah. so he obviously still intrigues you, and you still respect his work, yeah. it just it, has, it doesn't click uh-huh. in the same way that it does with me. Yeah. The, the fact you're still watching it, it's not like you you loathe him, you would, you would rather a, a, a cinema landscape with someone like this in it oh yeah I'd, I'd, I'd much rather have them in the world than, in filmmaking world than, than not have them because at least it does add a texture and a colour to it I look at them much the same way I look at Terence Malick which I know they're very different yeah. filmic but I'm happy they're both I'm, I'm, I'm happy they're both doing films yeah probably most of the films that I watch there's maybe I don't entirely get or, or, or it doesn't entirely like, hit me but I'm so happy they're still making them yeah you know yeah, and that's still, that's still a positive to take from that yeah. now. And every now and again they will do something incredible. I'm going, fuck yeah, that was really good. So fantastic, Mr. Fox. You know, I get yep. if I genuinely enjoy and, and have that film on Blu-ray. So I, I love that film. Um, other films that people do like, you know, like Steve Zizou and Royal Tenenbaums left me a lot colder and I'd probably not re-watch them in a big hurry. But, you know, for the fact you've done fantastic, Mr. Fox, I'm willing to give him a pass. And like I said, he, he adds a lot of colour to what at times, particularly in the last like five or six years, has become a very sort of bleak, not bleak, bleak's the wrong word, because there's a lot of great stuff coming out, but it doesn't feel quite as bright a landscape. It feels very, you know, tentpole picture after tentpole picture. There's not a lot of other out there. Totally. Yeah. Totally agree, mate. 
Um, that was good, man. I enjoyed that again. Yes, me too. It was uh, a labour of love for myself. Oh, and, uh, quite a good one because we're we're at uh, opposing ends pretty much of everything on that. So yeah. we're not just, you know, um, congratulating ourselves and having the same opinion. So hopefully it'll be an interesting, or more interesting listen for our devoted listeners. Yeah, we've got this. Um, but yeah, so next week we'll return to, I don't, I have no idea what's out the week after this. This will be like the first week of, second week of September. So... I'm trying to think what's out in the of September. I can't even think right now what's out in the second week of September. I usually do know, but nah, totally, totally drawn a blank of as to what's going to be coming out in the second week of September. But no matter what it is out, we will talk about it. Um, so for this week, I've been Richard. You've been Stuart. And you've been listening to. 